Welcome to the Writing to Get Business podcast, where you'll get tips to expand your writing skills. Every week, you'll hear tips and strategies to support your writing. Pat Iyer is your show hostess, a ghostwriter, editor, and author who has written 48 books. Sit back, relax, and listen. Here's your hostess, Pat Iyer. Hi, this is Pat Iyer with Writing to Get Business podcast. I have with me today Pamela Rashid, who is a nurse with a master's degree, who just released her first book. And I wanted to have her share her unique story with you in this podcast. Welcome to the show, Pamela. Thank you so much, Pat, for having me. I know that you've got a a fascinating background, Pamela, of having come to this country from another country, needing to get established, find a place to live, get a job, all on your own with a couple of children. And you and I met through a course that I taught on teaching people how to write books. Let's talk about the topic that you selected for your first book and how you got to that vision that you wanted to write a book about it. Well, first of all, I was going to write a book about my life story, how I came from Guyana as an immigrant, you know, in my very early 20s, um, alone, and having to navigate the complexities of living in a big city, um, and all the difficulties I've gone through since childhood to where I was at the time, which was just a couple of years ago. Um, you know, been through the rigors, became a nurse, and did my master's degree, all through struggles, and that was the book I was going to write. But I was talking to a good friend of mine that I had met at the University of Guyana many years ago. And he was saying to me, he said, Pamela, but you have such a strong background in infertility and women's health. Um, why don't you write something about that? And I started to think about it. And little did I realize, you know, he was really good because for me to write about my struggles, no one knows who I am and who would be interested in me, you know, a girl from Guyana. And so I started to think about it. And then the whole idea evolved. I couldn't sleep. I would, you know, I would think about this morning, noon, and night and how to shape this book. Yes, I had the clinical background, how to add credibility to the book. And I've developed a lot of relationships with patients, you know, when I worked at Columbia University who've gone through egg and embryo donation program. And I've developed a relationship to the point where I there was trust, you know, and when I asked, you know, would you be willing to share your struggles and all the hidden costs that um, you had to face to achieve a parenthood? Would you tell, would you be able to share that? And, you know, 10 out of 10 all said yes, not one said no. And, um, you know, that was like, I hit the jackpot there. And so I started to formulate the book. I read their stories and then I needed to get an editor. My goodness, I have all this work here, all this valuable information. Um, How do I shape it? It's not my cup of tea to really, I've never written a book. I read books, but I never written one. Um, And then I was introduced to Pat through the National Business Nursing Association CEO, and I think that that is where everything took off. I um, came on to her class, 
And I realized that this is what's going to take all this information that I have and shape it into a book. And I decided to go with that. And um, it became a beautiful book. I, I wish I could tell you how it was transformed from the manuscript to the book. There was a lot of work, but I think it was worth it. The vision of that book evolved from your area of expertise in a very uh, narrow aspect of nursing, working with couples with infertility struggles. And I know that one of the things that we talked about was who is this book for? Originally, when you wrote the book, you were thinking of, I want to reach nurses and doctors to talk about some of the medical aspects of this. And I also want to reach patients. Can you share with our listener how you decided to sort that out? Because you did pick one distinct pathway as you evolved the material. Yes. Well, first I wanted to, being in the field, I see how we're all focused on the diagnosis and formulating a treatment plan. And what was being left out of that is, you know, the support for these women and couple who have to deal with stigma, relationship issues, marital breakdown, financial depletion. How do you build care to that aspect of the patient into the medical formulation and diagnosis and treatment outcomes. Um, I feel, and I'm a believer in holistic um, therapy, I feel that we need to take care of the whole person. So nurses can really, really be very effective if they would incorporate that approach into their care of patients with infertility as they can with other diagnoses. But that was the reason why I thought, well, you know, I need to shed light on these hidden costs that these patients carry as a bigger burden sometimes is how are we gonna pay the mortgage but then afford the medications which are very, very expensive, um, you know. And then, Reading the patient's stories, it then got to, well, maybe there, there definitely are other women couples who can learn from the stories that were written for this book. How did the women in the book dealt with their difficulties? How did they get through? And um, I realized, well, this book is not only for the medical professionals, it's also for patients who are um, going through this. And then as I continued to read and I did some research and all of that, I figured, you know, there is a whole lot of support out there for these women, their families, their friends, mm -hmm. who can sometimes say the wrong things, you know, and then they can say the right things. This book would help them to know what to say. Sometimes it's just sit in silence and listen, not say anything. Um, so it, it just evolved in three parts. So I gave the clinical, which is part one in the book, the patient stories, and then I pulled out the hidden costs and I tackled those with um, my firsthand experience in coaching and mentoring and supporting these patients until they became successful. And I said to my patients, you have not come to the end of your rope until you've met your baby face to face 
whether it is with your own eggs and sperm, whether it was with donor eggs, sperm, or adoption. Until you've met your baby face-to-face, -face, you have not come to the end of your rope. And I'm sure that that was a wonderful phrase for the people who thought, this is going to go on forever, and I'm going to end up empty-handed after all of this struggle. Um, just as an aside, Pamela, we got married in 1970. We had our first child in 1976. My gynecologist, at every time I went for an appointment, said, Pat, when are you going to have a baby? And I didn't get pressure so much from my family, but I got pressure from my doctor over and over and over again. He said, he didn't say to me, you're not getting any younger, but the implication was you're married. It's time for you to have a child. And we were deliberately not having a child because I needed to finish my undergraduate degree and then pay back my student loans and buy a house. So, you know, we had these life goals that we wanted to accomplish. Can you tell our listener about some of the pressures like that or others that couples experience when there is a, a drop or there's a delay in meeting the expectations that others have around them about when are you going to become a father? When are you going to become a mother? Hey, come on, get on the stick here. Yes, and you know, and this dates back to patriarchal times where, you know, once you're coupled, the next thing you do is to have a child. But in the society in which we live now, women are more um, focused on their self-development, getting an education, getting a stable job. And by the time they're done with that, they realize, oops, you know, my I didn't realize that my egg reserve has dropped or my egg quality has dropped. Um, what is so great now though, to combat all of that fear of not being able to perhaps have a child when you're ready to have a child, um, is a medical technology. It's not talked about a lot. Um, some things are still, you know, not great data yet, even though I was listening to a podcast today about um, egg freezing. So if you are someone who is coupled or you are busy, um, you know, developing your career or developing some of your more important life goals at the stage that you're in, you know, maybe in your 20s or early 30s, egg freezing is a great way to do that. You may not need those eggs because you might get um, to a stage where you can still have children naturally or, you know, with your own eggs. But the pressure is there. And then there are the other population who they're not developing their life goals. They're not in college trying to get their um, career streamlined. They're married and they're having difficulties and the pressure is on. And they feel stigmatized. They feel um, uncertain. They feel depressed. They feel unaccomplished. Um, I would say the first step that you can take is acknowledge that maybe there is an issue and um, seek out you know, a specialist to help you diagnose whether there's an issue or not. And then there are so much in terms of technology where you can overcome those roadblocks. Mm -hmm. And then there are the women who, um, they're not partnered yet and they don't know if they'll be partnered, but their life goal is to be a mom. Then there are other avenues that reproductive endocrinologists can help with. 
such as the Anonymous Donors Farm Program um, and so on. There, there are ways, and I say, you know, if there is a will, there is a way. The first thing to do is to acknowledge that there is an issue and then seek out a resolution. Um, talking, I find, see, is not something women do well where it comes to their reproductive, um, you know, components of their being. But you never know, you might start a conversation with someone who is going to open up the doors for you. So, you know, it's so multi-layered. I know that one of the stories in the book was shared by a woman who did hear you talking about the issue of infertility and realized your area of expertise by being part of a, a spiritual group. I'm fascinated by the, the people who shared their stories, including their firsthand experiences made the book uh, relatable and illustrated very effectively the pathway that the women traveled. How did you decide who to approach? Tell our listener a little bit about the process of bringing in those firsthand stories and what it was like for you asking for assistance or answering questions of people as you talked with them about being part of this book. Well, that particular um, person in that spiritual group would ask a question. I hadn't known her much, and I think that part of it was providence. I do believe that, yes, yeah, science and te technology have come a great way, but behind all of that, there must be some spiritual hands that move things and set up meetings. I do really believe that, you know, I'm biblical and I believe in um, spiritual guidance, you know, from our maker. And so in that particular setting, I had only met her once. I was doing registration and she came up to the table to ask. And then at the end of the semester, then she um, just overheard a conversation that other women have said. And she asked, right? And that is how information was transferred. And by the time you know it, you know, less than two years later, she's a mom in her early 50s. The other women were women who have worked with from their earlier diagnosis to having their baby. And, you know, it's been, some of them have been a couple of years, several years. And, you know, that the trust that they put in their nurses is something else. And patients do recognize if this nurse really has her heart in the care that she's providing, or if she's just there just to pass the day, right? So based on how much I put in and I, you know, I meet the women at the point of their need, it could be clinical, but beyond that, there is also the psychological, the spiritual, the emotional, the ethical. And I try to meet my patients at those places too. So if relationships are formed, trust was built. So when I did ask and I did say, you know, I wanna write this book and this is how I'm thinking about shaping it. Would you be willing to share your story? Um, well, we wouldn't use your real name and they were like of course of course and I've not gotten one negative um you know about that so that's how it, sh it got shaped mm -hmm. so nobody said no to you and they were all happy to be part of that it sounds like 
Yes, they were happy to be a part of that. They wanted other women to know that, listen, there are hidden struggles. Don't let it seem like there's not. And those hidden struggles are not identified and dealt with in the fertility clinic. Um, you would have to find support somewhere else. It's great if you find it from your nurse, but oftentimes you don't. Um, but there are hidden struggles that need to be addressed to get you through. Mm -hmm. so they were happy to, to share that part. And if you read the stories, you would tell. Um, people did not want to say to their families, people were being stigmatized by, so Melissa and Josh, you know, every time there's a birthday party or a baby shower, the question is being asked, when are you going to do this? Little did they know that she was, they were going through infertility issues. So, um, and to the point where she said, you know, there are times when I feel I'd rather crawl into a hole, a dark hole and stay there until the baby shower is over. Um, you know, so those things need to be addressed. Do you have any advice for somebody who is watching this on our YouTube channel or listening to it in terms of how do you deal with those pressures from friends and family who are looking at you and your spouse and wondering why you're not announcing a pregnancy? You know, that, that's a difficult one because on one hand, you want to maintain the relationship with your friends and your families. On the other hand, you want to keep things private. You don't want to be labeled as barren or you don't want to be labeled as incompatible with your partner. It's a really difficult place to be, but I would I think that you just gotta pick who you want, what you wanna hear. It's hard to do, but you have to zone out some of the things that you hear, the comments that are made. Um, maybe do some meditation, maybe, uh, I believe in holistic, you know, like I said, get some acupuncture, go for a walk, try to not let your mind get so clouded with what you've just heard um, or comments that you've made. It's, it's something that everyone needs to work with on a personal level. And then if you find, see, anytime you're around Miss Black, she is saying these things and avoid her. Mm -hmm. um, and if someone is being very pushy, you know, just try your best to avoid that or make some sort of distinction about your personal life versus your social life and say it in a gentle way. If you can, it's none of your business. <laughs> There's always that, isn't there? Yeah, I mean, the, the gentlest way you can, I was listening to a group of women um, on Facebook who were talking about, they were chatting about being recipients and how people ask them questions. And one lady said, it's none of their business. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you just got to pick your battles. You said women were chatting about being recipients, did you recipients say? Recipients of egg donors, of donor eggs. Okay. And, um, you know, of course they have these questions, you know, will the child look like me? Um, what what if people ask questions? Oh, she doesn't have your nose or she doesn't have your hair or something like that. What do you say? It's none of your business. Mm -hmm. And I thought, you know, she's probably right. Who are we to judge? You know, I, I think at the end of the day, we're all um, cut from the same cloth. Some of us may easily conceive and some of us may not. And it's nobody's business to judge. 
you know, you might need to take a different path that they have. I mean, choosing to have a baby with donor eggs is not an easy choice, but it's a choice nevertheless, if that's the only way to have a child. And that through women who've had a diminished ovarian reserve, um, where the, the quantity and quality of their eggs have diminished. And most of this is age related. Now, what do you do? You know, you have to make hard choices. It's not their choices, it's your choices, so it's your business. I know there was a story in your book about a couple who felt um, uncomfortable about letting their family know that this child was not their biological child in the sense that there was no genetic material from either one of the parents. And yet the grandparents would not have been able to understand this. Tell us a little bit more about that situation because that is another one of those awkward moments that a couple yeah. can get into with the technology that's now available that never used to exist before. Yeah, and technology plays a big role here um, in America, but that couple, if I recall, if I'm you know, recalling exactly who you're talking about, there's somebody who was stigmatized not only by infertility, but came from a totally different culture. Right. Right? That was an Indian couple. Yeah. And they, they, the parents, their parents come every year to visit them just to spend time with their child. And they would not say anything because they didn't think that their parents were um, culturally receptive or would ever be culturally receptive to this because they just did not understand um, that. So they, to spare everyone, and they decided not to share it at all, especially when they saw the beautiful bond between their child and, and his um, parents, his grandparents. So that was a choice that they made. Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, as a nurse, I knew that. But who else knows that? Only the husband and the wife. And, you know, if they confided in anybody else, I don't know. But they said to me, you know, our parents don't know and we'll keep it that way. And, and a big part of that was culture. And yet, Pamela, with the, with the rise of the websites that allow you to check into your family history and your parentage and your lineage, isn't it very hard to keep secrets, especially from children, about the origin of their parents? We're talking about keeping a secret from the grandparents of the child. Can you comment on some of those issues when a child doesn't know that the child's not genetically related to either one of the people who he or she thinks of as being their parents? Does keeping that secret create a trouble? Yes, I mean, keeping that secret does create trouble and maybe 30 years ago when IVF with donor eggs was, you know, just emerging and it was very much shrouded in secrecy, it was not an issue. Now though, with technology and science and being able to go on anastressfree.com and uh, 23 to find that out um, is really what will cause a lot of uh, mistrust to a great degree, because this is not talking about, oh, I left $5 on the counter and someone took it. And I think it's you, that this is not something like that. This is your DNA, this is your origin, this is um, your future. 
And I think that it is going to be very beneficial for parents to start talking to their children at an age where they think that child is going to be receptive about how, how um, they're related. Yes, I'm your biological mom, you were, you know, I gave birth to you, you, you know, I carried you in my body and I gave birth to you and you call me mom and all of that. But DNA wise, you're not, and there are books out there, there are therapists out there. And this is also in, you know, emerging and how to talk to children, what age is best to talk to a child about this? How would the child react and what should be your counter reaction? Um, there are a lot of books that are, you know, not, not a lot, but I think there are quite a few books out there already. I think that trust is like glass, right? If, if and, and this is a quote, if it's broken, you could never ever fix it again to the original, um, you know, place it was. So what do you rather do? Do you rather break trust with your child for the rest of their life and your life? Or would you rather bite the bullet take the hard road and disclose this very, very important piece of information, uh, probably gradually as when they're young, seven, eight years old to when they're in their teens so that they get a more solid understanding and they don't have to find this out on their own when they're in college and or high school and their friends say, hey, let's go take a, a swab of my mouth and find out my ancestry to find out that, oh my goodness, this is what happened. And then they're being, you know, looked at differently by their friends, which at that stage is very, very important relationships for them. So I think I, I address that in the book as well. Mm -hmm. This is a real issue. And with technology and science, you cannot withhold this truth from your children. So there's gotta be a way to disclose this gradually and then in a more solid form. Um, and I think, you know, once you've developed that love of bond, that love and that bond, you know, it, it should go well. So nurturing once they're born is absolutely a contributing factor as to how they're going to be receptive of the information eventually. I think what you highlighted in the book, and it, it may not be knowledge that everybody has, is how refined the technology has become to the point that if a man has one viable sperm and a woman has one viable egg, it's possible to create a baby using the technology that we have now. And this has all been evolving over the last 30 years, but until you get into that world, you don't realize the very fine level of sophistication to have a woman in her 50s be able to give birth, to have um, surrogate pregnancies, to be laid out with all kinds of contracts and plans to deal with the fear that a woman may change her mind after delivering a baby that she's been paid, in essence, to carry inside her for nine months for a couple who are paying for that privilege of having her as their carrier. There's all kinds of hope 
for couples who are struggling with this that never existed before. Can you comment a little bit about that? But I'm so glad you asked a question. You see, and it's why I labeled, I named the book, the tagline, the inside world of infertility. Once you step into the door of the world of infertility, it's fascinating in terms of technology and what are doable now versus then. Um, yes, if a, if a man has a low sperm count, remember sperm comes in the millions, eggs come, you know, basically in numbers you can check on your fingers. And there are times when you really have to look for sperm if they have an issue, a male factor. And there is that technology called ICSI, which is intracytoplasmic sperm injection. Rather than putting all the sperm in a dish with this few eggs, like millions of sperm to the few eggs, to see which one of this sperm will be the winner to uh, fertilize that egg, you then have the opportunity or the technology, so to speak, to select that one sperm from looking under the microscope that looks normal, that moves normal at a normal rate and inject it directly into the egg to bring about fertilization. So with low sperm count and low egg count, fertilization rate could still be um, good or even greater than 50% of the eggs you would retrieve with that technology. The other thing is um, choosing to use a surrogate for women who have uterine issues or who don't have a uterus at all. They're women who have had to have a hysterectomy for a reason or the other. They're women whose uterus are damaged from fibroids and scar tissues, um, adiomyosis and things like that. And they do need mm -hmm. to have a surrogate carry their child. They're women who've had so many miscarriages mm -hmm. where at some point, they don't have an issue getting pregnant. Their sperm and their eggs are good and they don't have an issue getting pregnant, but you know, sustaining the pregnancy in utero is an issue. And so they need to use surrogacy. Um, there is a lot of um, legal papers that need to be signed and um, you know, psychological evaluation that need to be conducted before a surrogate can be a surrogate because what if she just takes the baby and run away? Um, what is her ulterior motive for being a surrogate? Some, some women, they just want to help others. I've read a story of a woman who's had, you know, they've had five children of their own and they were very friendly with their neighbor who couldn't have children. One night they were out at a dinner party and the, the, they decided, the couple who was struggling, decided to answer the question from their probing neighbors. Hey, what's up? You guys are not having kids. And they decided to disclose, you know, this is the reason. And that couple decided that they're going to, I think it was right out, out here in Long Island in New York. Um, and they gladly, without being paid, carried their neighbor's child. <laughs> it's one of the greatest gifts ever. I mean, her uterus has been tried five times. She doesn't, she's not gonna have more children. Why not? She said, it's your bun, but it's my oven and it's okay. We're neighbors. And so she carried a child. There's a grandma who in her 50s um, carried her daughter's child. Of course, you have to go through maternal fetal medicine to be assessed to make sure that you're healthy to carry a pregnancy um, when you're 50, 51, or even older. And she carried her daughter's child. And then there are those anonymous, not really anonymous because you have to know the surrogate. There are those women who are, they just wanna make some money. 
um, you know, to help with their families. So there are different motives. Nevertheless, they all have to go through the same psychosocial screening, psychological screening, signing of consent forms, just in case. Mm -hmm. That is now being legalized here in New York, which I think is a great move because women do need surrogates at some point um, for some reason. And Pamela, I know the person who's listening to this or watching this is going to say, oh, tell us more stories. But we are at the end of our time. And I appreciate you sharing your information. I also know that the person who is listening to this probably knows somebody struggling with infertility and would love to know how to get a copy of your new book. Can you share that information with us, the title and where that would be located? Absolutely. And I just want to let the listeners know also that this book is not only for people who um, are facing uh, infertility issues, having trouble conceiving. It's also if you are in a supportive role. So you could be, you know, a friend, a neighbor, a relative or someone, co-worker, and you're in a supportive role, you can just give them a copy of this book. Um, it is called Barren, The Inside World of Infertility. And it is how women have overcome that stigma of being barren by stepping into that world and getting their goals accomplished. It is available on Amazon, uh, a paperback, an ebook, and the audiobook will be coming out soon. Uh, so Barnes and Nobles and um, uh, also carry the book. And if somebody wanted to find out more about you and the services that you offer, what would be the best way for them to be able to reach you? So I do have a website where I offer coaching, counseling. Um, I help patients with their self-injections for fertility. And my website is Gentle Nurse Infusion 101. So you can find me there as well. I am on LinkedIn and I am on Facebook. Gentle Nurse Infusion 101.com. That, com. Correct. Thank you, Pamela. You've been great to talk to. And as you and I worked on this book together, we saw so many stories in the news of people who are now coming forth and being more open about their challenges associated with infertility. And it's great to be able to take this hidden subject out of that closet that people push it into and to be able to talk about for many people, a giving them hope when they might have felt despair. And I think that's what your book very effectively does. Thank you so much. And one of the reviewers of the book was uh, uh, Dr. Melvin Tartan, who is a fertility specialist, who thought that the book really pulled back the curtains on the secrecies and the hidden things of this world. And he would recommend it to his patients. But Pat, you really helped me along this journey. I know that it was fascinating for you to work on this topic because you've been sending me these stories and um, you know, a baby that was an embryo that was frozen for over 20 something years. You've been sending me these stories. And from that, I could tell that you were, you yourself being a nurse and being you know, a, a person very knowledgeable about different fields of nursing, you became fascinated over that and you really, I can tell from the way you shaped this book that you were very much intrigued by the content. 
Um, well, thank you. And I am sure that our listeners will also be intrigued. Get a copy of your book, Baron, The Inside World of Infertility, by going on Amazon and check out the services that Pamela has to offer for coaching and consulting and working with couples who are having challenges. And thank you to you who has been watching or listening this pro to this program. We have an interview every week with a new guest who has written a book, and we would love for you to tell other people in your circle about this podcast, Writing to Get Business. Thank you. Thank you, Pat. Thank you for having me, and um, thank you for the way you've shaped the book. It became a masterpiece just by your editing expertise and mentorship, and I really, really appreciate that. It was a pleasure. We have to work on the next one, Pamela. Yes, absolutely. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Check out Pat Iyer's resources for writers at writingtogetbusiness.com. That is W-R-I-T-I-N-G-T-O-G-E-T-B-U-S-I-N-E-S-S dot com. Coaches, consultants, and entrepreneurs work with Pat so they can get more business by writing and sharing their expertise. Check out Pat's resources on writingtogetbusiness.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.